Mason Cotton is in the building tonight. For those who don't know, former Virginia State Union baseball player, played a bunch of sports growing up. But before we even get into that, how are you doing tonight? Hey, what's good? What's good, man? Thanks for having me on here, man. Pleasure to be here, cuz. Man, I'm all right. I'm just trying to stay out the way, stay cool in this weather, man. Enjoy life, man. Blessed to be here, man. Yo, appreciate you hopping on, taking time out your schedule. Y'all know the vibes. Make sure you subscribe, like, post, reshare, and rate us five stars. Anything less, come on, man. We need the five star. Nothing less than that. Starting off, I know, because I was from family, you played baseball, basketball, football. Why ultimately did you choose baseball? Like, where did your love start for baseball? Ooh, that's a deep question, man. Um, shoot, it found me by chance, and then, like, my skills started to shine in it the quickest. Like, early on, I was playing football early on, I was playing tackle, loved doing that, and then uh, I had, like, a three-year stretch where I could never make the weight limit to play tackle. You know, back in the day, they got, like, uh. over a certain amount for your age, or they don't want you too heavy tackling the kids and hurting them, so I wouldn't be able to play. So what else was available? right before basketball season opened up, fall baseball be there. No weight limit in baseball because you're not going to run over any of the kids, nothing like that, you know. So I was playing that sixth grade, spring of sixth grade, hit my first home run in Little League. Like, just swing back, hit home, hit over the fence. Felt amazing. Then got called up from our, like, minor division to our major league division a year early in sixth grade to play Little League ball. So I think that's what got the ball rolling. Like after that, I became like a student in the game, you know, before really like I, I kind of knew I was. I think I fed off of wanting to see people like me playing ball. So I think that helped. Like growing up in New Jersey, I was a big Yankee fan. So on TV, you know, we got Derek Jeter, we got Bernie Williams, I got Mariano. So those are the guys that most quickly I could see look like me going and doing the things I wanted to do on TV. So that was giving me some inspiration there. Um, I think continuing to, continuing to be good at it and then seeing results of my work right away. Like I was on, like I was learning between, you know, getting my dad to help me out, joining every other 
lesson program or reading up, watching TV about it. I could learn the game about you know, going to Barnes and Noble, writing books, reading up, learning about Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, all the greats, learning the history of the game. I started, you know, want to be better and better. I had it in my head thinking I wanted to be a student athlete one day. And I think I kept at it so much because I was seeing the results of my work pay off. Like, I think baseball it's a unique sport where like it's a team sport, but it's made up of like your own individual actions. You know what I'm saying? Like pitching, you control where the ball is going. If you're hitting, you're deciding what pitches you're swinging at or not. So like a lot of your own success in the sport, you can really have a, a ability to influence by the work you're putting in, you know? So that's what I was seeing a little different, you know, basketball, I'd work on a skill, but playing in the team, playing on the league, I'm still having to wait till that time in the game where it's appropriate to use that skill. You know, I can go practice something in my head and know I'm going to be hitting at some point every single game I'm playing. So I think it was fun to put, I had fun putting in the work. That's what I think really, really, really set it off and made me say, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do uh, as a means to try and, 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 you know, turn it into a career or lifestyle if I can or at least use this as a path to, to keep me focused and try and take it and uh, get more opportunities from it. That's what I think made me choose baseball over anything else. Now, with baseball, you mentioned basketball and football. What was the training like for baseball to, to be ready? Like, obviously, each sport has different things that you train, mm. different things that you work on. So for baseball, what was it like training for baseball? Hmm. Okay, I think when I got real serious and said I wanted to do sports-specific training for baseball, uh, I think that's probably right, right before I started high school. Um, I'd almost liken some of the physical conditioning to what football players are going through because yeah. uh, the fitness is a little bit of the same thing. You know, football players, they do a lot of explosive workouts and lifts because your energy is coming out in like 10 second bursts from how long a play might be. Baseball is kind of like that. You're going from standing still to needing to make a quick step, make an explosive move, make a play. Every play is gone or happens in five seconds or less, but it's those quick, fast twitch muscles you're working on. So, um, man, we were doing, shoot, I'm thinking like on, a, on an off-season workout, what I was doing from a young age, ladder drills, agility, footwork, that sort of thing a lot of hand-eye coordination drills, um, the training to like build up our arm strength and ability to throw and like have that endurance, uh, throwing with like weighted baseballs and things like that, those sort of programs. Um, towards the end of high school and getting into college when we started actually like lifting weights, saw that balance of doing explosive weightlifting exercise, but we focus, um, I don't know if a lot of folks know about baseball players. We focus mostly on like our fast switch muscles. So stuff like your wrists and like your hips and things like that, that you got to use quickly. But most of like our lifting and, and, and training and stuff in that is like your core and your legs. Like some of these guys, I, I promise you, some of these guys playing baseball on TV could out squat or out leg press some of your linemen on football teams. Like they got mm. strong legs. I promise you. And then like, you can see baseball bodies of all types, but like guys have strong cores, like not like, you know, not everybody like walk around six pack Jack or anything like that, but like having 
you know, strong oblique muscles, strong chest muscles, strong back muscles, because like those fast twitch things you're doing, a baseball bat is 30 something ounces, it's almost three pounds most of the time, like swinging that every day in hot weather for 162 games in the season. Our stuff is centered around explosive strength and then like the aftermath is like endurance. So mm. ran, we ran a lot. I could definitely say that was a big part of the training. Um, especially because like uh throwing, throwing any ball, any ball overhand, it's not a natural motion for your body. Like that's like gassing your car up and going to 60 and slamming on the brakes every time when you throw a ball overhand. So to keep that from wearing your body down. A lot of guys do ice, but uh, what helps you like kind of get that out and condition yourself will run after we throw, whether it's running hits mm. or like, I mean, what we used to do commonplace uh, might have a routine in practice where I was a pitcher in college. So I might have my throwing session in practice, go from there. Afterwards, you got your leg workout or any type of lifting session. And after that, you might finish out with like a mile run to finish the day out or something like that. Like, it may sound and feel exhausting, but after a while, you're like, no, I crave that sort of thing because it's how your body like kind of winds down and gets ready to go do it all again. Wow. Definitely learn right there. I didn't yeah. even know on that aspect. And with that, like you mentioned pitching. Were you always a pitcher or was that something that you transitioned into once you got to college? Oh, no, that was a big switch I made in college. So that was like, an adjustment I made like in trying to see like what was best personally both for my career like two twofold like my academic and athletic career so like yeah. school I was a first baseman got my my mentions my conference all conference accolades all of that sort of stuff uh playing first play second base as a sophomore and I played first base junior senior year so I got noted or noticed by my college by Virginia State University as a hitter Came in in the fall, hit well, but one of the things I did kind of as a secondary move in high school, I pitched, but it wasn't like my main thing to do ever. I just kind of you know, look, go get up there if they need me to. Um, doing the same thing during fall practices in college, I was all right as a hitter, but man, pitching wise, like, shoot, some of the dudes who are juniors and seniors were having some trouble hitting the stuff I was throwing up there. And came around uh, to our first season talking with my coach was kind of pushed with the option of either if I wanted to stay on as a hitter, look at either red shirt in that year and then face a task where I'm on our depth chart. We got, I think that year we had like a grad, uh, a, a grad student, so senior on the field, a junior behind him, a sophomore behind him, looking at three years of riding the bench, maybe four with a red shirt to play one season as a senior versus that year we were really thin on pitching, needed that, knew that was a way for me to get on the field, and then knew it was a way I could actually make an impact right away. So it was something I was upset at having to do. Like, I won't hold you. It was times definitely in the first, first two years where I was considering did I want to transfer out somewhere where I could still play in the field. But I don't know. I saw it as, like, being just yeah. – I was surprised that my coach kind of noticed something in me that I was, like, in better in that spot. And then just kind of thinking about it in hindsight and thinking about it at the time, like, wow, it's not too often in any sport, you know, save maybe for your top level D1 basketball that you might see 
a freshman or even a sophomore having a serious chance of making an impact and playing a role to help a team win. So that was cool. So, you know, I took my lumps in pitching as a freshman to be in position of three straight years after that, playing a big solid role and helping us contend for those conference championships each year after that. No, that's something huge, especially as a college student, you're talking freshman, sophomore year, to make the decision that was not only best for you, but best for the team. Like the team needed pitching. Like you said, you were able to realize and see it was then on pitching. Now, no knock on it, but we see a lot of our athletes in today's generation will take that transfer route. Hey, I'm not able to do what I want to do, play the, play the way I want to play. I'm going somewhere where it's going to let me play that way. So that was huge for you to do that. With becoming, you know, a pitcher, right? What was some of the things you worked on, like, regarding your pitching? Is it the same in regards of basketball, for example, where a point guard needs to have a deep bat? Is that equivalent to I need to be able to have a knuckleball, a fastball, or was it? I feel you. I feel what you're asking. Man, so what I learned, like, between just me reading up and then learning, taking my lumps, learning, talking to those who knew a little more about me and then like knew a little more than me rather and then just trying to apply it all. What I kind of learned real quickly with becoming a pitcher, specifically pitching in baseball, man, has three aspects. It is anytime you throw a pitch or any, any pitcher you look at and you analyze, you really can kind of analyze and break down what they're throwing off of velocity, how fast or slow those pitches are coming, movement, you know, how much they're spinning, how much that is curving, dodging, dipping, and uh, how much control you have. Can you throw that thing where you want to? And I always look at it and, like, kind of learn, like, if you don't have one, the less you have of one of them three, the more you got to have of the other two. So it was me having to learn myself and then learn to train using the tools I had. Like some guys, shoot, their natural blessings had them being able to throw the ball 100 miles an hour. Like, I, shoot, I'm six, six foot two on our website, six foot in real life, like 185 pounds. I'm not throwing 100 miles an hour. Hardest pitch I think I've recorded throwing might have been 85, 86 miles an hour. So I don't have a velocity aspect, but I knew I had movement all day and I had control all night. I still got Virginia State's record, 27 and a third innings going straight without giving up a walk. Like, I was just going to throw strikes all day. Like, you, you hold a glove up, I'm going to throw it there where I needed to. So I think what turned it into me, like, having to train differently than other athletes, I was doing, I was doing a lot more long-term endurance strength, uh, uh, stuff for myself a lot more leg and core strength stuff instead of explosive stuff because like I was a starting pitcher. You one guy out there on the mound, nine innings in a game, you expect it and it's hopeful you could pitch six or seven of them. And if you're really balling out, let's get you out there for all nine. So in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be more tired than the guys playing defense behind me because every pitch thrown, I'm actually doing something. I'm throwing that pitch. I need to make sure my endurance is higher than theirs. They got to worry about exploding. They got to they be able to have their endurance up when they up the bat to run the bases. I got to have mine up for every single pitch. I take one pitch off, somebody hit it 500 feet out of the park. So I think that's where I got more specific into training to try and sustain myself for a longer period of time rather than trying to do explosive stuff. I know uh, one thing I got in the habit of doing was like uh we had we like 
trainer at our school would give us what uh, what your both your out of season and your in season workout schedule are when you go in and lift. And um, I would try as best as I could to align the days where I might have a throwing workout in after scheduling that for after our lifting session. So I'm already tired, legs are already tired when I'm going out there. Like, I can't do the same equivalent that some of the guys hitting can do, like putting on a weight vest or putting on weights on their wrists or something to train that way. But it was kind of giving the same effect. I'm already tired going out here. Um, I'm drenched in sweat, changing shirts three, four, five times. But come game day, it's a Saturday and it's 92 degrees outside and I haven't broken a sweat to the fourth inning. You know, it's helping me because, you know, I'm starting to see it where uh, – like overtraining, so I was doing that. If I might throw 100 pitches in the game, my most exhaustive off-season workout session might include me throwing 150, 160 pitches. Mm -hmm. Overexerting what it is, and then, you know, the hardest working pitches I'm throwing are those last 50 or 60 where I'm already supposed to be tired. So yeah, I, would, I would see it work in a positive way where uh, I know I'm in shape where, like, during a game, Instead of feeling tired and feel like I'm wearing down as a game going on, I feel like, oh, no, I'm just warming up as a game going on. I know it worked out well for me, definitely before, uh, before my knee injury and all of that. When I was really cooking sophomore year, I had one game, and they were just clocking my pitch speed as each inning went on the game. Seven inning game, throwing 78, 79 in innings one and two, throwing 84, 85 in innings five and six. So it's like as the game goes on, right, like I wasn't – Wearing down, I was feeling more and more loose and stretched out. So I think that was a product of that. Um, flexibility, I think that's something I started paying attention more to when I became a pitcher. Um, you know, that, that, that position can put a lot of stress on your shoulders, on your elbows, on your obliques. People don't think about that, but those side like oblique muscles, guys can tear those a lot and wear those down. Um, Flexibility definitely was a huge one. Doing like cable and band exercises. Um, I had a homegirl back in school. She played tennis and she was really into yoga just as a means to like stretch out. So doing a lot of that, realizing that like, okay, you can use your own body weight, strength and flexibility to kind of protect yourself against some of these other things. And uh, I didn't believe a lot of it's true to like stuff would happen uh, Things would happen in games. I'd roll an ankle, and before that might put me in a brace for a week. Instead, throw some ice on it, and I'm good the next day. Kind of surprised at how that sort of stuff was helping you out. Yeah, uh, being a pitcher and just baseball in general, y'all have a long, long season, so endurance is definitely needed. And it's even more of a, like, respect and shout-out to those players that play 140, 150, even 100 of those games. That's regardless, even if it's just 100. That's more than basketball, and that's more, and that's just regular season. Don't yeah. make the playoffs. Some players, you got a deep playoff on, they might play close to 200 or more games in a season. So endurance, flexibility, definitely needed. I, I haven't seen any reports, but i love to see. I'm, I'm sure there's some baseball players that's on that LeBron status of they spend a million dollars on their body. Oh, oh gosh. Like, gosh, probably even more being that the season is so long. Probably even more. So I'm going to go back to college, right? What went into the process of choosing BSU? Were there any other schools as an option? And part two of that question, what was the HBCU experience like? Ooh, okay, okay. 
Man, well, part one for that, like options, I think there were, I had two different avenues of options. I had a set of schools that were considering me as an athlete, and then I had a set of schools considering me as a student. So I think the biggest other option I was looking at at the time was big old Penn State University at University Park. Talked with their coach, and the situation was looking like they had recruited another dude. You know, you can get drafted even out of high school in, uh, in baseball. It's just your choice if you sign with that team or not. Some guys still attend after. Guy was a high candidate to get drafted and was in a position thinking about if he got drafted, might have signed. If he didn't, would go to Penn State. Was looked at and was told with them, I qualified, I could get in academically and had a, a position where he, he was trying to call it a preferred walk-on spot where, you know, I might I'd be guaranteed at least the opportunity to be on the roster through fall practice. And that wasn't, it was a deal breaker for me because mm -hmm. a visit up there, took an overnight visit up there. I love the school campus and environment, but man, Penn State, that is a, that, 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 that school is a town. That school is a town. Like I went and did one classroom visit, professors there with one screen up, he got the lapel mic and three big old projectors behind him to talk. And I'm like, man, this guy's never going to know who I am. Like, I'm never like I, that, that size. I love the idea of the size of playing in front of a crowd that size. I didn't like the idea of a college experience in that space to where like I was going to be worried that if baseball wasn't cooking and working out the way I wanted it to, I wouldn't be happy at the school at all. Yeah. Like that was like, I, that was a big like deal breaker for me. Um, otherwise, like, shoot, I was, Delaware State looked at briefly, but I thought the area was a little boring. Virginia State, I found them almost by chance. We heading down to the family reunion, go see grandma and them. Um, stopped by, because uh, we see the exit off I-95, just stopped by, because it's time to go visit the school. And this probably ties more into the second question you asked too. What was the HBCU experience like? It was something that had me really sold and feeling like, like the, the, I took that visit August before my senior year started. And it was something that like, it sticks in my head still to this day, years later, and was in my head throughout senior year, as I was considering even other schools. We pulled up on the campus, uh, walked over to the admissions office. They pulled over one of their grad students right there. And he just offered to give me and my family a tour. And you know, the way he phrased it was different than any other tour, any other school I had visited before. He said straight up, he was like, hey, I'm gonna take you through your tour, but it's gonna be a little different. I'm gonna walk you through this as if this is a day in the life of you as a Virginia State student, because I'm already selling you on the idea you're gonna be here. So we're gonna have you walk through, we're gonna start at your dorm and show you where you wake up at. We're going to show you where you ate breakfast this morning at. You tell me what major you want to major in. Okay, we're going to show you the buildings where you got class. You want to check out the classroom. You want to say hey to a professor. They're here for their office hours. They're getting ready for some summer stuff. And I'm like, wow, this level of accessibility, this level of warmth, this is not no guided tour. We didn't pay for nothing online. We literally showed up on a Friday afternoon in August, and this is what y'all doing for us. Um, he mentioned, he asked, like, hey, are you interested in intramural or club sports? I said, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a baseball player. I saw y'all had a team. I was looking at, you know, I saw the field. It was a nice field. Oh, you want to meet the coach? Yeah, come on. Ten minutes later, sitting in the office, meeting my future head coach. I had tape of myself already on DVD from that summer. Gave it right to him. Like, 
it was so accessible, so warm-hearted, and he was real upfront and honest. Like, hey, I like, okay, yeah, let's see what you can do. I'm willing to give anybody a chance. So it was nice to not have what I felt was like almost like a smoke and mirrors recruiting process. Because prior to that, it was a lot of, you know, I'm updating, putting pictures, putting videos on websites, calling coaches, hoping I can get a call back, dealing with this and that, run around, going to tournaments all around the state, hoping to get seen, like doing that kind of whole, whole, whole hoopla trying to hope I can get seen by the right school. And I think what really stuck with me a lot too, that senior year of mine, shoot, the coach was calling me. Uh, I ran cross country and played basketball in addition to playing baseball in high school. Man was calling me during cross country season asking how the races were going. Calling me during basketball season because he was checking in, checking our box score. I had a bad sprained ankle that kept me out for like two weeks in my senior year basketball season. He called uh, my family's house concerned. Hey, is everything all right? What, what, what happened? Did he quit the team or something like that? And my dad's telling him, no, nah, he's hurt. He's been out. Oh, okay, because I saw the box score. I didn't see him in there. Man, is everything going all right? So that connection there, it wasn't like he was pestering or anything like that. It was just he was really sold on wanting me to come be there. Um, what that HBCU experience is like, man, it was a game changer for me because I feel like it was really embracing. Um, I like tell people really, there's nothing like it. You can't like, it's, it's almost hard to put into words unless you really see it or know somebody to see it to like, no, but, um, having, like, I can think of like the structures of rules even that they had for us as freshmen. You know, they had different rules, different kind of like, they had like restrictive hours as a freshman of when you can have visit visitors, like uh, restrictive hours and things on like when you can have um, co-ed visitation and stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking these are rules like, come on now, we all 18, 19 over here. Why are you worried about what are we doing? Having an RA, a black male RA tell me, you know, hey, like, you know, look at any other school that's not an HBC, you know, like down here, big school, VCU. Uh, UVA, we got big schools down here too. He's like, hey man, you go there, you a dime a dozen. You flunk out tomorrow, they got 50, 100 mm -hmm. on a waiting list that could take this school ready to pay some money, ready to be here. It's going to take advantage of this opportunity, whether you will or not. Like, if y'all flunk out of here, like, we not real, it's not going it, to, it's going to take a minute for us to find another student of color who's got the wherewithal and got the skill set and got the means to be able to come and attend and graduate we got to nurture you we got to appreciate you we telling you no co-ed visitation because we need your black self to come back here sophomore year we need you we need you to thrive so now we putting these directives in place to make sure you succeed so that's what i thought like there was a high level of emphasis and encouragement for us to join like any type of organization. Like I joined a frat while I was there, but even just joining, like it, everybody was pounding it home to us, no matter what your major is, join the club for your major. You know, you interested in anything, join, you interested in sports, you know, join the, uh, the equivalent of like our pep club where you go into like season tickets to the game and y'all having the foam fingers and stuff like that going crazy. Like, you know, you you interested in business, even if you're not a major, go join the business club. Like everything was really kind of centralized around like doing it together here. And I really can say that everybody from like the teachers to your fellow students to like the staff and the people you meet around push this emphasis to you that like you important. 
in the space that you were in. So I think that was huge. Like I always felt like, um, like I'm playing a role in how my university is represented or seen by the rest of the world. And then I think it's awesome that like whatever HBCU you attend or just attending one at all, you feel kind of like that family impact of everybody winning if y'all doing something together. Um, like I think like one of the bigger examples I could think of in recent memory, 2016 when Deshauna Barber won Miss USA. She a Virginia State University graduate. Like I know Deshauna personally. Like you know, remember seeing her and saying what's up to her while she walking to class with a uniform on, doing her ROTC stuff. So that sort of level, like HBCU Twitter and Instagram, all of us, like it's folks from Norfolk State, folks from Howard, folks from Hampton, who are just as excited as we are, feeling that same level of camaraderie of we know that person personally, you know this sort of thing. Um, I don't know if you saw maybe a couple months ago, House of Highlights and a lot of people were followed showing um, the president at my school across the, yeah. the courtyard. Like, it is dope to know that like, we've known him like that for the past five, six years. And know that he is no different when the camera is on or not. That is him to the fullest. Like, the dude quoted Nipsey Hussle at the uh, commencement ceremony for graduation. Like, dude's a real one. So like, I, I guess always feeling that like, you have that sort of like connection. It feels like almost in the same, like if you working in your job and you on a corporate space and you see another brother working and y'all throw each other ahead. Now you don't know who he is, don't know nothing about him at all, but it's something like I see you working out here. Like that's how it feels even as an adult walking around if I have a Virginia State shirt on, if I see somebody with a Howard or a and anything like that, you feel a sense of pride and where you, what, what you, what, what kind of raised you, you know, I think that's really a different feeling too. I think um, why so many HBCU grads keep strong ties, still go back, still go to things like, you know, uh, um, go to homecoming, still want to participate, still go back to, you know, games, things like that. Um, I think every HBCU grad can kind of say that they feel like an element, not just that they attended the, the school there and got their education there, but like they kind of transitioned from teenager to a young adult and can kind of look and point at some of their growth and growing up period as at the time they spent in that school. Yeah, every time I hear it, I, I definitely wish I would have had that experience. I was. Interesting to go to Morgan State, but my dudes ain't wanted to be that far out. But I wanted to go to Morgan State when I was there for my visit. At the same time, it felt like home, man. It felt I went to a basketball game, I'm like, oh yeah, this is lit. This is something different. The cheerleaders, the cheer section, the band. I'm like, yo, I could get used to this. What? This? Oh yeah, this is lit. And it's built too with your experience, how it was organic. And it was natural, the recruitment process. And it was actual true interest. There's not a lot of coaches that's doing that. And uh, you hear it when, the, you know, the, the players that get to the school, like, yo, me and this coach, this was really good. Because they do the stuff like that. Hey, how's, how's basketball going? How's cross country going? How's your family doing? Those type of things separate just the regular coaches to you talking about coaches that become somewhat family, somewhat father and mother figures to you because they actually cared about what was 
going on. And that whole HBCU experience, they care about you. From everybody I've heard, we had somebody on here from BSU earlier this year, Carl Thomas, that played football, and he explained yeah. explained the same thing. It was just like a genuine, actual care that we want to see you succeed. And I got to test those bigger schools. It's kind of like I attested to basically like if you go to a, a mega, mega church, right? Are you going to get that same attention and that same type of love? They probably don't know you at a mega church. At one of those big churches, 100,000 people there. No knock on them. No knock on the big universities. No knock on the big churches. But they're not going to know you. You're not going to probably get that same type of attention that you want from the more close-knit family type of atmospheres where every like the show chairs everybody know your name yeah that it's exactly how it was man exactly how it was like shoot like every every faculty and staff member that i dealt with was probably two three degrees removed from being able to have a conversation with my coach or with the athletic director you know everything was tight-knit and i mean i wouldn't even sit like you could find that tight-knit environment even if the size of the school doesn't really tell you tight, man. Like state was kind of small when I was there. Um, maybe just a hair under 10,000 kids around the time I was there. But I'm sure if you talk to anybody that goes to Howard, goes to Hampton, goes to Norfolk State, any of these schools that have about 15,000 kids up in there that are big enough to where like you don't see the same face every day, you can still get a group of people around there. They still know a professor by name. They still know certain things about it, but they still feel a lot of that family level there. Like you're right. Like it, it is a, it's, it's different when you feel like the atmosphere cares about you and therefore you should care about it. You know, you should care about contributing back to it. Like it's different. And in your opinion, right? What's the, because you, you did both sides, you pitch, you, you hit, what's the hardest, pitch to hit and yeah okay ooh ooh um, I feel like it varies off of a pitcher but I mean I feel like a good a good breaking ball like you might hear some guys throwing a curveball some guys throwing a slider both of those are breaking pitches like because like they they, they, they just always refer to that because they break off of what we consider like a straight line trajectory or what you see a normal ball going. So that's what makes it more difficult to hit because like, man, hitting is all about like hitting is, it looks harder than it is. I mean, it's, it's not to say it's easy. It looks harder than it is, but the guys who are good at it are able to do it because hitting is really a lot of aligning your mind, eyes, and body with timing. You know, timing your body to do a set of actions, the rest of it is just muscle memory and repetition. That's why the good hitters, their swing looks the same no matter where the pitch is in the zone. It's just them timing it up. Pitching and throwing good pitches is all about just disrupting that timing. So that's why I say a good breaking ball is tough because it can get you one of two ways. You know, guys that throw fastballs and they can get you by the speed. They can throw change-ups and it might be slower and they can get you off, you know, change of speed. Breaking balls, they could do both to you. You know, I could throw a curveball or a slider and it can trick a hitter by disrupting his timing or it can trick a pitcher, I mean, a hitter by disrupting his alignment with where he's swinging, you know, in the pit. You know, guys are swinging and missed. They swung and their timing was correct, but you missed the ball because it broke away from where you're swinging. And then, uh, like, I think 
think it requires you to have to do a lot because like from a hitter's perspective if a ball is most pitches coming to you got backspin you know you can see it spinning the other way like away from you it's coming knowing it's going to be on a straight line um breaking pitches since most pitches have to like kind of snap or roll your fingers or have your your fingers on top of the ball it's going to create top spin when the ball is coming to you so you have like a split second to be able to identify that a different pitch is coming most of the time like it's it's easier to tell your body to slow down than it is to tell yourself to speed up so you, you kind of go up as a hitter preparing to hit fastballs and telling yourself if it's not a fastball, I'm going to just slow myself up a little bit because it's too hard to speed yourself up. Yeah. By the time you recognize it is fast, it's already by you. So it's hard because it requires you while, while preparing for a fastball just in case to look at that pitcher's hand, identify any changes in his windup or his release point. Hopefully you can, it's a hard, subtle difference between seeing this and seeing like kind of his fingers on the top of the ball from 60 feet away. Noticing that, noticing that the initial ball is coming out, identifying and seeing that you're, you're seeing the ball rotate and have top spin, preparing for that ball to break and then preparing your swing to meet the ball exactly where it's going to break. I mean, most hitting coaches will tell you just not to even swing at a good breaking ball unless you got two strikes on you and you ain't got no other choice. But I definitely say that's the hardest pitch to hit because, like, it's it's hard to practice how to hit it. You know what I mean? That's what I think is so hard. And then you get a good pitch, just throwing a good pitch at the right time. Like, after throwing you a couple fastballs and get your timing all right, you don't feel stupid as a hitter. I got two more before we transition to our with equipment segment. Again, thank you for hopping on with us. What's your thoughts, especially your pitcher? What's your thoughts on the recent news and the reports that came out that pitchers are using spider tack this season? Oh, what's your take on that as a pitcher? Yo, I understand it, and I need them to do a couple things with the baseballs, man. Like that's an equipment issue, like man. I wish I had a couple and I could like show an example, but like Major League Baseballs, the problem is like the seams on the baseball are not really raised up that well. And like, shoot, you as a hooper, you can understand like, okay, pitchers are going through the same issue. Remember when we was younger and they had that, they switched the basketballs for like yeah. a season, but everybody was getting paper cuts and they switched it back. That's what we're dealing with as pitchers. You're try, you need that, you need a little bit of friction. You see LeBron and a lot of those guys go for the rise and go for the chalk because like any sort of sweat on your fingers while you're trying to grip a ball, you don't need that. We got that rising bag behind the mound for that. But like we have to do everything we can to get a grip because that ball is like you, you, you grip it too tight and your fingers will slip on the ball. The seams, the red seams on the baseball do not poke up out enough. Like they, they're a little different in high school and college, but in major leagues, man, they are almost like sunk into the ball. And a lot of that is because they want the ball to travel further. Like the closest something is to a perfectly round object, the per, like it's, it's not going to get affected by wind and stuff. So that's why these guys can hit the ball 500 something feet. Problem is for us, we can't get a grip on it to, throw like I always mentioned those good breaking balls so the guys don't hit it 500 something feet so like I mean my eligibility is done now so I could like I ain't, I ain't afraid to like disclose what I was doing but like 
a lot of guys, we would doctor up the ball to try and do what we can to get a grip on it. Like the balls were kind of glossy in college. I know I'd had times where like I'd, uh, I'd keep a pumice stone, like what you used to like get dead skin off like your hands and feet. Like I'd cut the handle off that, like break that off, had it in my back pocket so I could just rub the baseball against it like through my pants. It would scuff up or scar up a glossy side of the baseball, but that would give me an extra grip point to mm-hmm. hold fingers at when trying to throw a breaking ball. Um, I've seen guys do everything up in there. Vaseline to try and get a better grip. Um, spider tack. Um, spider tack, I think it's the same stuff they, like, rock climbers be using. Like, and you need that. You add that with a little bit of the rosin, like, you're good to bare hands and stuff all day long. You need that. Um, I would like to see them either edit the baseball. They, they, they got to do something to change the baseballs or you're going to see a company pop up or like some sort of change with like some list of acceptable substances. Because like what's going to end up happening, you're going to have more and more pitchers end up not just being not as effective, but straight up getting hurt because you're going to have guys trying to overcompensate. You know, if I can't get a grip on the baseball, I'm going to grip the heck out of the baseball and grip it even tighter and try and force my arm more to make that move. You know, or if you imagine, um, I don't know if in the basketball world, this, if, if this may make sense or not, but if you, I could see if, if all of a sudden the NBA players had to switch to uh, uh, a basketball that was one pound heavier, we might somehow see a whole lot more wrist injuries. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's not a huge difference, but it's just something that 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 subtle tweak in the way you have got, like trained yourself and when to get you changing the equipment, man, you're gonna change the players. Wow. For our listeners, you just learned something right there about the baseballs. A lot of people, you know, I'm sure you saw like, oh, here we go again. It's another cheating scandal, pitches is cheating, this, that, and third. But for somebody that actually plays baseball. Hearing that explanation, you can't knock it. Like you mentioned, with the basketball changing, a lot of people that complain, point guards, nah, y'all got to bring that back. Y'all got to change, change the basketball back. Or, in general, the players that had the ball in their hands a lot. LeBron, nah, nah, nah. And then you could see the guys having the ball in their hand is essential to the way they play the game. That's their whole career at that point. If I can't get my handles right, I'm, I'm, that's, that's my career with these pitchers. Their desperation is saying, like, yo, spider tag, anything else. You know, my one time on the mound, shoot, that batter, he might get three or four games before the team gives up on him and his contract. I might get one pit, one chance and one chance only. If I don't do it here, I'm bagging groceries next week. I need to do everything I can to make sure I'm the best version of myself out here. Yeah, that Pitches are on, I think, a, a way short, at least unless you're, you know, obviously the likes of Roger Clemens and CC yeah. Sabath. You know, like the New York media was complaining about CC for for years, but CC uh-huh. still is on that mound. Regardless, every fifth day, you, you build once you build that cachet, you build that reputation. That leash becomes only, like, all right, we're gonna keep CC out there. All right, we're gonna keep Roger Clemens out there. We're gonna keep Randy Johnson out there. Yo, baseball puts its money into consistency, man. I'm telling you, you go to like, you go, you go down the street, uh, go watch you like a Somerset Pages or a Newark Bears game. That talent level, I promise you, is the same exact. Every single one of them players on that field could go hit a hit hit the pitching that the New York Yankees got today. The difference is just like those minor league players, if they 
they might slump, and their slump means they didn't get a hit for two weeks. A major league player, his slump means he didn't get a hit for two days, and he's back at it still, still producing. So that's what the difference, like, that's just lets you know how freakishly good these guys are that are on the top level getting those millions, man. Like, they are getting paid for the fact that, like, no matter what time zone, what part of the world you put me in, I can hop out of bed and hit that ball 500 feet. Like it's they 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 got a freakish level of training and dedication to they have to their craft, man. Yeah, I think that's sports and across the board. The people that do it every single night away home, those are that's where it separates the person that's playing in the G League. The person in G League might have a good game, they might got 35. Next couple games, they only around 10 or 12. Yup, you feel it. That's where you you see where the the people complain though, and I can get it. Once you get to that level, they expect that consistency. You can't be right. People are human, people go through slumps, like you said, but you can't drop 45 one night and then the next five games you only average 12. And that's where it's like, all right, so you you can't be a starter. You can't get major right. We can't trust you to be out here because we don't know which version of you we gonna get. And that's where people, that's a whole other conversation. We can, that's where people have some, a lot of their issue with Paul George, but that's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> episode. When, when we right, get you right, in Jersey right. or when I go down there, we're gonna have the equipment, we're gonna do it in person. Yeah, that's a setup, that's a whole breakdown. That's a whole nother breakdown. Last one before we transition to with equipment segment, which is basically some rapid fire questions or whatnot, but we call it with equipment and they get our own. One piece of advice you give to someone who wants to pursue baseball at that collegiate, at pro level. Even though it sounds like coaches be talking BS when they say it, get your grades right first. And, and and then the opportunities will open up. And I say that through the experience I had. Like, people like to throw the numbers out there and make it sound like it's difficult or like there aren't enough open opportunities for every ambitious player out there. I promise you there are. It's just like, there's so many schools out there looking for players. And this is like any sport, regardless, like just baseball. There's so many schools out there that need players. Just like we got a limited scope of the schools we might see or know about, they got a limited scope of the players they might see or hear about. So like, it's almost like like if you really want to be able to like put the legs to the grind and like say, yo, I know, like like I I tell anybody if you want to be like a college athlete, like make sure your grades are straight so nobody ends up hitting you with some hey you can't qualify here or hey your test score wasn't this or that because it's like that they, they already are some like unfortunately like biased measurement tools people are using but I'm like man you just get them out the way so you can sit in the room have a conversation be telling these schools yo what can you do for me sort of like next stage of business you're not over here like at the mercy of them needing to give you a full athletic scholarship because like what I found out when I was going to state like 75 percent of my scholarship was my grades the coach was so excited to have me go there because I was saving him money and being a good player and stuff like not knowing out here like there are guys literally on some of these D1 Clemson football teams who they are full ride scholarship guys, but they are a full ride like academic scholarship. Dabo Swinney don't got to pay them dollars. So he loves having them out there, especially like you got the same ticket in as everybody else. Um, and I think like 
knowing it like, okay, if you know your grades and then know like what you feel like you want to study, what you kind of picture and yo, regardless, whenever my career is said and done, what do I feel like I want to enjoy doing? Picking your school and your environment off of that. Because like, if you love the game enough and have a good time enough, bro, these college coaches, you're going to run into plenty of them who know their stuff and going to help make you a better player. You going to be, it sounds like almost wild to think about, but like you'll be a better player overall and better person overall at an environment where you love all of the stuff going on there outside of when you're on the field or in the quarter at practice. It's going to make you go that much harder when you pull up at practice or at the field. So like, you know, it's like some guys, like if you're sitting there like top level program, but they treat you like, you know, you just a dime a dozen versus a program that hasn't won many games over the past few years, but you're a hot commodity prospect. Yo, go over there. Go over there. That's the place that's going to nurture your growth, make you the best player out here. You know, you look at the league now. Nobody cares about how far Dane Lillard advanced in the NCAA tournament. Like you see what he's doing right now. You know what I'm saying? Like that sort of stuff. You go to the best place that's going to be the best fit for you. And if you being the best, you you going to shine and you going, people are going to see you. Like we, we got an internet world now where like, yo, you get hot, you get hot at the right time. You can go viral from anywhere in this country, man. Don't like a, a big name is nothing anymore. Real recognized real. Last segment with the quickness. Ask you some questions, whatever comes to your head first. First okay. one is something real simple. What's your go-to meal? Go-to what? Go-to meal. Ooh, salmon with the brown rice. Oh, okay. Super healthy. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's in, I know you're a big music guy. What's in your musical rotation right now? Who am I listening? I mean, I keep hustling there forever. RP Nip Hustle. What I've been listening to lately, that new Migos been crazy. That's been in, that's been in the rotation. Uh, who else I've been jamming, man? Shoot. Waiting on this next Davies project come out, Davies. Go hard. And it's been on the West Coast mix, man. G Perico go hard. Don Kennedy been my dude waiting on that, that next project to drop. Uh oh, and then all the Griselda crew. The Griselda oh. crazy. Benny the Butcher. The Butcher's coming. Conway, all of them, bro. Yo, that's in the gym all day. Can listen to Benny all day. That's in the rotation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Benny, that's my favorite one out of Griselda, bro. Benny got bars. Facts. Bars. Um, I know you're a big Nip guy, so I gotta ask. Top three Nipsey songs. Rap niggas, million while you young, and the first blue laces. Hmm. Okay. Blue laces one. Yeah. I know you're a Broncos fan, so starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos will be Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy B, Teddy B, yeah. Teddy B with the gloves. All right, so finish this statement, right? Show how Otani is. A trendsetter. Mm. Man, yo, because there's been some cold two-way athletes in this game for a minute. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing because he's about to set the trend for the next set of players on the come up. And I'm excited watching right now at home. Like, I want to pitch and hit. I'm not choosing either. I'm like, yo, he, he's about to change the game, bro. We about to have positionless baseball the same way we did positionless basketball. That's what yo, I'm, I love it. That would, that would be dope, bro. That would be 
Oh, guys getting drafted and it's like, oh, he's a pitcher outfielder. Oh, this guy a catcher and a shortstop. Like we gonna be moving, but they gonna be changing the rules on substitutions and stuff soon. I'm like, yo, I love it because these athletes are too good. Like the the fans are the ones really winning. We getting to watch them do all this. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, yo, I'm always trying to see some better competition. Give me your Mount Rushmore of baseball pitchers. Mm, Mount Rushmore pitchers, four cream, four. My Mount Rushmore, so it might, like, they ain't the four, like, winning us the best, but, like, the four that I think are the coldest. Pedro Martinez, Greg Maddox, that's two. Hmm. Satchel Page, and... Hmm. Mariano. Mm. Mariano. Mariano. There we go. There one we go. Yeah. One of the. I don't think nobody can argue with that list, but don't nobody better not say nothing about Mariano. Don't Yo, say. Not say nothing about Mariano. Don't say nothing about Mariano. <laughs> MJ or Braun? I can't pick it either. I just gotta say my statement. Michael is forever in my life going to be the most important basketball player of all time. I don't ever want to hear no arguments about Michael being the most important. But I'm, I'm like my unpopular, if we talk in pure skill at this game of basketball, LeBron James, the greatest basketball player I've ever seen that they pick up, a, like, like ever seen pick up a ball and do anything with it on the court. LeBron James. Hey. I gotta say, can't argue with that you feel at all. That. And I think that's a, a good way to put it. Like, you gotta give flowers and respect to MJ. Exactly. Like, I can't even say they 1A and 1B. That's 1A and 1A, but I'm like, ooh, like, this. Like, I think it depends what you need for your team, what you want. Six, eight like. point guard skills. He gonna be our all time leading scorer, and scoring is not even his primary, his best skill. LeBron, I'm sorry. Like, if they – like, I, I told one of my mans, like, yo, if they was both 20 years old coming out of college with the same – with the player pro- – with the projectability of what we saw them to become and we just saw them both in a combine, who are you picking first? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm picking LeBron because he got 70 pounds and three inches on you, Michael. Like, I, I'm picking that too. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just fast, he jumped just as high as you i'm picking him <laughs> yeah that's key that's, that's keeping it real right there though yeah that's a good way to put it that that yeah we're gonna have to have start having those type of conversations all right so like, like, I the combine. The if you put them both at a combine and see it, like yo what do they measure up like and i said you know even just 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 to put the reference in there like like what if we put in 90s NBA rules? So it's still like, it's no easy fouls. I'm still picking Bron. I'm still picking him. That's a, that's a, like, people, people, know, be, people be coming at Bron, like, oh, he couldn't play back then because he always flopping and stuff. Bron being able to punch and stuff back then, that's a big, that's Some a of them people boy. would be saying would have bullied Bron around. It would have been, he would have got bullied by Carl Malone. It would have been a back and forth with him and Carl Malone because he the same size. He just faster. You know what I'm saying? Like Exactly. So that's a great – because I was about to say, yeah. that. ain't nobody bullying Carl Malone. People sleep on the fact, like, Jordan had – he had Oakley, then he had Rodman. He had some enforcers in there where you know, like, you're not going to do none of this dumb stuff to Jordan. 
and later tell about we're gonna get you with these elbows and stuff, especially when Rodman came after the Pistons beat him up. Like LeBron would have him an enforcer up in there, man. Like, come on now. Yeah, mentioning Carmelo, ain't nobody really tested or tried to bully Carmelo. So you feel me? Like he he's literally like bag near the same size in the room. Right. If ain't nobody wanted nobody tried to bully the big dudes. The big dudes were just the bullies to everybody smaller than them. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. And plus, you saw Lee had changed complete rules for Jordan anyhow. So if they did that for Jordan, and and Braun was in that same time, they would have just the same same sort thing. of thing. This is this is literally the face of the product. You gotta protect the product, and ultimately, you gotta protect that bag. So it mm-hmm. it would have happened for Braun too, straight straight like that. But then Three, I put it on that you think combine like in today's space, today's rules. I can see why somebody might pick Jordan because that's 40 a night. Consistent oh. with today's rule. 40 a night, you you out free throwing James Harden every year. Like, like, cause you get he's just he's just he's having fun out here. And it, he got that three point at the tail in his career. Imagine if he had it the whole career. You might be talking about, yeah. even though he wasn't like the most efficient and the best three-point shooter, but he would have perfected it, I'm sure. Mike, now you're talking about Mike might have dropped. 40, 45K in points. If he had a three-pointer his whole career? Easily. Easily. I tell you this, like, Mike is probably the best scorer. Nobody can have that, that discussion. Yeah, yeah. I can't hold you on that. Even though LeBron going to pass him, I still say, like, nah, Mike, is it like, if I say, yo, like, your life's on the line, you need a bucket. I need, Mike, I need Mike or Kobe shooting that. There's three people that Three people. You might want to throw a fourth one in there. It's Mike, Kobe, and Kareem. Ain't nobody guarding that sky hook. Maybe you want to throw Shaq in there, but if Shaq, I go to the free throw line. Most dominant might. all time. I always say Shaq, most dominant. Most dominant. Shaq, I shoot a free throw. You might want to get your casket ready. You just might want to do that. Three things you can't live without in this life. Ooh. Faith, food, and sports, man, because I think sports that keep that keep life going. Yeah, faith, some food, and sports. Yeah. Two, before we get you out of here, Gumi, thank you. We appreciate you for taking time out of your schedule. What keeps you motivated in life? What keeps me motivated in life? Ooh, man. I think what keeps me motivated is the idea that. No matter how short life is, you have a chance to make an impact that is going to be greater or expand way further than the time of your life either even was. So I think that's what keeps me going, knowing that yo, it takes one small thing, one small action to have an impact on this world that's bigger than you could ever imagine. Yeah, that, that's definitely that that ties into that that legacy mindset. Yeah, you know, ties into the, the bigger picture mindset of yo, every anything any decision made today can really affect when I'm not here. Like like Kobe said, I heard himself come on Butler this and he's like, start focusing on what you want to do after basketball. That's going to be able to be something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And we see that with Kobe, like his life after basketball. Of course, he was great, but a lot of people. Are touched, you know, was touched by 
what he did off the court and what he yeah. did after basketball and hearing the interviews and hearing the mama mentality, which dang near everybody using that now. Business people, athletes, a chef, everybody using mama mentality. So bigger than you, even Nick. A lot of the funniest thing I say with Nick before I last question. Everybody was like the marathon continue, the marathon continue. They reposing the interviews and oh yeah, you know, put your money in the real estate. Yo, Nick was saying that long before he was gone. Mm. But the thing is, Drake said it best. Sometimes you I become a legend once I leave. You'll you'll really understand and miss me once I'm gone. And I think that's where we lack as people. We don't appreciate, we don't value the people while we have them here. And we don't give them their flowers while they're here. You realize, oh no, he was actually always talking. He was on the side. Nick wasn't on the side. He been on that. Nick was, was saying that for, for years, but yeah. people weren't paying attention. People thought it was just music. The man was more about music. So give people their flowers now, man. Appreciate people now. Embrace those moments. Embrace those times because you never. It could be going like like this, like the life that we live. You never know when your day is. It's not like God be like, all right, by the way, on January 17th, 2045, that's when your time going to end. You never know. So appreciate yeah, those people yeah. in your life, bro. Like, for real, for real. Facts, 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 man. Last one. Five people that are alive, you like to have a meal with. Okay, five people dead or alive, I'll have a meal with. It's all all them together, like we can all be at the table we eating. All okay. together. Tupac Shakur, Jackie Robinson, my dad, uh, Barack Obama, and Jean-Michel Basquiat. Mm. Yeah. Yo, that, that's an interesting table right there. It's an interesting there. crew right there, right? That's going to be some yeah. good conversations yeah. right there. Yeah. And of course, you bring the fan with you, pops at the building. He, he, yeah. he, he pulled up. Yeah. You got Obama. You got Jackie Robinson. That's a, that's a lot of history and stories right there. That's there you go. And then you got Tupac, obviously, who was another person more than me. Yeah, that's crazy. He, I think he would have been really like bigger than like if, if he didn't pass. Because mm -hmm. low key, him doing the acting and stuff, he might have been able to just do that and not even do music no more at the, at the route and the pace he was going. Real charismatic person. But Mason Cotton. DSU, more than an athlete, we thank you for hopping on with us, spending time with us, giving us some knowledge and some gems. There's a lot of stuff in there that I can take from, not just baseball aspect, but life, principles, life things in general, man. But y'all know the vibes. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Bench mob, we out. Peace. Hey. Yo, cuz.